That's what we look forward to. But for here and now, we have to live in this world. And tomorrow we might have to go back to work. Uh, we'll have to probably put the news on and see what's happening and just face up to the reality of life. In 1995, Lord Nolan set out seven principles of public life. Uh, these are a set of seven ethical standards, uh, a code of conduct, which public sector workers were expected to adhere to. And there'll be a number of public sector workers here, teachers, those in the medical profession, those in the universities, uh, and includes uh, uh, very much our politicians. Maybe they're the first people that come to mind as we think of these. And the seven principles of public life that were set out were that, uh, that uh, public sector workers were expected to adhere to are these. Selflessness, integrity, Objectivity, accountability, openness, honesty, and leadership. I'll let you decide your opinion of how well you think our politicians uh, hold up to those things. But it's good to ask each one of us ourselves how well we hold up to those uh, principles. And it's not just for public sector workers, it's for all of us. Their qualities that we should all who have. When Peter writes to uh, Christians uh, in his letter of 1 Peter, he calls them to live to a set of standards. Uh, and in some ways, it's a higher standards than these. He calls them to live lives that are different. To live lives that are different. Different from the people around them and different from the lives that they used to live before. Last week we looked at the first part of the chapter and uh, it was a great exhortation to live in hope. It's a hope that is different than the world's hope. It's a hope that stands the test of time because it's a hope for all of eternity and we've just sung of that. And uh, as I said uh, a moment ago, there were five things that we considered from verses 3 to 7. I'll tell you what, we, what they are. Firstly, we've been given a fresh start. New birth into a living hope. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, you have been given a fresh start into a, a new birth into a living hope. Secondly, uh, we're receiving a rich inheritance, and it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Thirdly, it's by God's strength because we're shielded by God's power. Fourthly, suffering and rejoicing are friends. They're never far from each other. Did you notice them a number of times as we read through that first part of 1 Peter? He tells them, it won't be easy, but it's not for long. And then finally, faith is precious. If you're trusting in Christ, if you have that faith in Christ, it is precious, more precious than gold. Well, this week we're moving on to the second part of the chapter and the exhortation is to live lives that are different, to live lives that are different. And if we're trusting in Christ this morning, we should be those whose lives are different, whose lives have been changed. If you look in verse 13, it begins with the word, therefore, therefore. Many of you will be familiar with the old adage which says, when you see a therefore, you should ask what it is there for. It is a linking word. 
It links everything that has been said to what is to come. The first nine verses speak of why we can live live in hope. That's what we were thinking about last week. But these following verses are about how should we live in hope? What does it look like, a life lived in this hope? The challenge of verses 1 to 9 is to think differently. The challenges of verse 13 onwards is to live differently. And it's a good question to ask ourselves if we are living lives which are different. And we can only live this life if we are trusting in Christ. We can only live this life if we're saved. That's the word that this passage uh, uses on on various occasions. Um, In verse 9, it speaks about uh, uh, concerning this So that's verse 10. In verse 9, it says you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In verse 10, it speaks of the prophets writing about the salvation which is to come. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ And the glories that would follow there. It is again sufferings and glory together. But what were those Old Testament prophets doing? Speaking of the grace that was to come. Searching intently to to, trying to, trying to understand, uh, and and, and to work out, uh, and to reveal Christ in the scriptures from the beginning of the Bible. There's, there's hints that a saviour will come. And this hint becomes a whisper and then a talk and then a shout and louder and louder until eventually Christ comes. So the Old Testament points us to the Saviour, to Jesus. And it points us to the salvation that we can have. It's a salvation that is rooted only in Christ. There's no other way that we can be saved. It's a salvation which uh, it tells us that the The angels longed to look into these things. Verse 12, it was real to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. The angels can't experience salvation, but still they long to look into them. And it's a salvation that they rejoice over. Remember Luke 15 when it speaks about uh, the, the angels in the presence of God rejoicing over someone who was saved. This is the salvation that we have. This is the hope that we have if we're trusting in Christ. So the first part of the chapter is that uh, uh, call to that exhortation to live in hope. And it goes on from verse 13. Uh, it's a call to live life that is different. My Bible has the, the title, Be Holy. You could probably summarize it with those two words. Be holy. Lives which are holy. Lives which are set apart for God. Lives which are different. And I've got here four calls that we see in this passage, and we're going to go through them this morning. Firstly... It's a call to prepare your mind for action. A call to prepare your mind for action. That's what it says. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given 
you when Jesus Christ is revealed. The, the, the Greek in this passage, it's, it says, it speaks of girding up the loins of your mind. What a, what a metaphor, girding up the loin of your mind. Uh, a Middle Eastern man in the heat of the day would have had a large cloak uh, to, to um, keep him cool because a protector layer there underneath him to keep him cope, be down somewhere near to the ground. But if he wanted to run, he would have to pull up this cloak, tuck it into his belt, bare his knees so he could run. That's girding up the loins, pulling them up, getting ready to run. And uh, it, it tells us here that we need to prepare our minds for action. I think it's interesting that it says prepare your minds for action. It doesn't say prepare your minds to think. The Christian life is a life of action. It's not just a life of discovering certain truths and affirming those truths. It's a life of reading God's word, listening to God's word, obeying God's word and living it out in action. The first call is to prepare your mind for actions. The mind is important. It drives who we are. It drives what we do. Uh, it drives um, who we are, what we are and what we do. Uh, René Descartes, the French philosopher, uh, probably one of the best known philosophical statements, said, I think, therefore I am. Not as one of my friends always says, I'm pink, therefore I'm spam. Uh, but I think, therefore I am. Some of you will be familiar with that little adage that says this, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reach a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It all begins with a thought in the mind. And we need to be those, if we're trusting in Christ, who to think everything through with a Christ-centered perspective. Uh, preparing our minds for action. When Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 12, he says this, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Our minds need to be transformed by Christ and we need to be continually preparing our minds for action. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, stop thinking like children and start thinking like adults having minds prepared for action. I um, uh, Years ago, when I was first a Christian, there were a number of these posters around which had Bible texts on. I don't know if they're still around, but there were all sorts of you know, lovely pictures and Bible texts. And sometimes the picture went with the text, sometimes it didn't. But uh, I remember one, uh, I have no idea whether I had it, but I do remember one that says, let go and let God. But actually that's wrong. We don't just let go and everything will be all right. It's hang on and trust God. It's think. It's have the mind of Christ. The Christian life isn't a life of ease. Everything will be all right. Everything's sorted. It's not a life of ease to be lived on a bed of roses. It's a life of action to be lived out on a bed of nails. There are all kinds of trials Peter's already said that to them earlier on, verse 6 or 7. And we need to think. We need to be ready. We need to engage our minds and to think everything through with a Christ-centered perspective. 
How do we do that? Well, the verse says, be self-controlled. That's very different than letting go and letting God. There is a discipline involved in it. It tells us too, to set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. We need, and and that's the same phrase that's used at the end of verse 7, setting our minds on Christ, looking to him, tuning in to him, listening to him. We need to be ready. We need to prepare our minds for action. Some of you will know the name Robert Baden-Powell. He founded the Scout Movement back in 1907. And the motto of the Scouts, which probably many of you will be familiar, is be prepared. Be prepared. When he was asked, what, be prepared for what? He said, well, be prepared for anything. And we need to be those who are prepared and ready. Our minds ready for action. So the first call is to prepare our minds for action. And it's good to ask ourselves, are we doing that? Are we preparing our minds for action, engaging with God's word, engaging with God, seeking to know the mind of Christ, seeking to live a Christ-centered life in obedience to him? A call to prepare your mind for action. And then secondly, uh, in verse 14, it's a call to live as obedient children. A call to to live as obedient children, verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Peter is telling them to be what they are, to be what they are. What they were, it tells us here, was children of ignorance, living in ignorance, living without Christ. What they are and what we are is children of obedience. That's what salvation has made us. He's changed us. He's, Christ has given us this new birth and we are now children of obedience. And what Peter is saying to them is be what you are. You are children of obedience, so live like and as children of obedience. Firstly, no longer doing what we used to do, And what did we used to do? We used to conform to the evil desires we had when we lived in ignorance. We might sit here this morning and think, well, I'm not as bad as some of those other people. But actually, when we were living without Christ, our minds were ruled by the things of this world, not by Christ. No longer doing what we used to do and becoming something that we didn't used to be. He goes on. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Be holy in all that you do. The reason, and it tells us there in the next verse, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Living a holy life is a proper expression of the life that God wants us to live. Living a life with our minds on Christ and seeking to obey his word and live for him is that right expression of the Christian life. And it's what God expects of us. It's what he expects of us, having made us obedient children, he wants us to live in obedience. But not only that, it's what God enables in us as well. He helps us to do it. 
It's through the work of Christ in us. It's not us trying to do better. Uh, it's that desire to do better because Christ has changed us. But then it's by the power of God's spirit at work in us. It's what God expects of us and it's what he enables in us. And uh, so many times uh, in the New Testament we, we read of, of, of God's power enabling us to do this. The work of the Holy Spirit in us and uh, the work of God's grace. Paul again, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. His strength in our weakness. Uh, Ephesians 3, he speaks of uh, being strengthened with power through his spirit. What a remarkable thing that us, little old us, can be strengthened with power by his spirit. Philippians 4 He writes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not by our strength, it's by his strength at work in us. He does call us to live obedient lives, obedient to him. Are we doing that or are we careless about these things? Yes, it's, it's not easy to try and work out what exactly he wants us to do, how he wants us to live. But there should be that desire to do that because of Christ's work in us. And as we desire that and read his word and seek after him, seeking to be all that he wants us to be and uh, seeking to live as obedient children. So firstly, prepare your minds for action. Secondly, uh, it's a call to live as obedient children. Thirdly, it's a call to live in reverent fear. A call to live in reverent fear. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Live your lives as strangers in reverent fear. And that's not, that doesn't mean being scared and fearing rejection and fearing punishment. Not that kind of fear. But it's a healthy respect, a rightful adoration, a godly devotion. And if we sought to live our lives in that godless fear with that healthy respect, that rightly devotion, uh, that rightly rightful adoration and a godly devotion, then I think we would find ourselves more focused on being obedient to God, uh, obedience to God and likeness to Christ. Peter urges them, he says, look, live Live in reverent fear. Let me suggest to you from these following verses five reasons why we are to do that. Why are we to live in reverent fear? Firstly, because God is our judge. We call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. We need to be serious about sin. We need to be serious about living a holy life. God is the holy and righteous Father. He does not compromise with sin, and nor should we. He is merciful and forgiving, and we praise him for that. But he cannot permit his children to enjoy sin. And this judgment it's speaking of here, it's not a judgment of God against an unrepentant sinner, but it's the judgment of a a father dealing with his beloved children. One day we 
we'll all stand before God. We, we will give account for what we've done with Christ, whether we've rejected him or whether we are trusting him. But if we are trusting him, we will give account of what we've done with our lives. There is a measure of judgment before us. A call to live in reverent fear, firstly, because God is our judge. And secondly, because this world is not our home. This world is not our home. Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. We're called to live as strangers. Yes, we do need to live here in this world, but we are called to live, we're told how to live, living as strangers. This is the same phrase that's used in the next chapter in verse 11, speaking of uh, the fact that we're aliens and strangers in a foreign land. This world is not our home. Does it feel like your home? Or have you that mind of Christ, which as you go about your life, you just constantly remembering, this, this world is not my home. The best is yet to come. There's a place prepared for us. And we need to live as strangers. So secondly, because this world is not our home. Thirdly, because we've been redeemed from an empty way of life. That's what it says in verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your fathers. We've been redeemed and rescued from an empty way of life. We were slaves to that at one time. Empty, with no reference to God and no reverence to God. But if we are in Christ, We are now to live our lives with complete reference to God and complete reverence for God. So because we've been redeemed from an empty way of life, fourthly, fifth reason, because Jesus has laid down his life for us. We, uh, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. For your sake. I keep coming across little phrases like that. Um, uh, Hebrews, I think I referred to it when I was preaching earlier in the year. Uh, Jesus in the presence of God for you, for us, on our behalf. Here, he was... Uh, uh, revealed in these last days for your sake, for us, that we might trust in Christ. We should live in reverent fear because Jesus has laid down his life for us. And then fifthly, because because it's the only hope that we have. Uh, And refers to to, uh, that hope through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God and that's what we were thinking about last week and Peter who's writing this he was the one who said to Jesus where else can we go there's no hope anywhere else you alone have the words of eternal life it's our only hope Christ Therefore, we should live in reverent fear. So there's the third reason why we, uh, the third call that we need to be responding to, living our lives 
in reverent fear. And then finally, fourthly and finally, it's a call to love one another deeply. A call to love one another deeply. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, verse 22, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Previously, he had said to, he'd written to them, to be what they are. Um, you are obedient, you are children of obedience, so be obedient children. Here, he's saying, work at what you already have. Work at what you already have. Because if you look at that verse, it doesn't seem to make sense. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. What he's saying to them is, look, work at what you already have. You have love for your brothers because you are now part of the family. If you're trusting in Christ, adopted into his family, our brothers and our sisters in Christ, we have that love for one another. But, he says, work at it. See, the gospel produces that love for one another and, and it reminds them of the source of that. You've been born again, verse 23, not of per- perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. He's told them that it's the gospel that produces that. You already have love one for another, so work at loving one another deeply from the heart. And that's challenging. Are we loving one another deeply? It's a message that keeps coming up through the book. In each chapter, there's reference to loving one another. In chapter one, uh, chapter one here, it talks about loving one another deeply from the heart. And then in chapter four, he says, above all, love one another deeply. For love covers a multitude of sins. It's challenging, but it's necessary as well. When I was just thinking about this earlier in the week, I think I think that we're more more like the Waltons than the Simpsons. Not the Wardens, David and Claire, and the Simpsons, Anthony and Karina, but the Waltons rather than the Simpsons. Some of you might be familiar with what I'm talking about. They're both American uh, TV uh, programs. One was an American TV drama which began back in the 70s, I think, think about the Waltons. And it's this... This, this very ideal family where everything is wonderful and everything is perfect and uh, they have all these virtues and values and so on. I think that we think we're like the Waltons, where in reality we're probably more like the Simpsons, the US, the American satirical sitcom about a dysfunctional family. And uh, yes, we've been made into new family as children of God, but we're very often dysfunctional. And I think that's the reason why God's word and and, and Peter just keeps stressing this need to love one another deeply, to, to love one another from the heart, to above all love one another. And then as he goes on to chapter two, he speaks of some of the things which, um, attitudes and actions which are, are a denial of this kind of love. Listen listen to what he says. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He's writing to Christians, but he's telling them to rid 
themselves of these things with God's help. Um, those things were still there. And there can be a measure of those things still there in our lives. And it tells us we need to rid ourselves of those things. Loving one another deeply doesn't look like that. We're to love one another deeply. There's a putting off and a putting on. There's a putting off of those things. And there's a putting on of love for one another. And if we're going to live godly lives, it's not possible while those things remain. That love for one another deeply is a mark of godliness. It's easy to love those that we get on with, but what about the rest? When you're in a family, uh, you don't have a choice of who you love and who you don't. But, you know, we should um, we should love each other deeply, not as if they are family, but because they are family. We're to love one another. It's not always easy, and it's often costly. But these are the things that Peter is saying that we should do to be holy, to live different lives, to live lives which are empowered by this hope that we have in Christ. There's four calls, and we need to be those who hear, and those who respond. The call to prepare our minds for action. The call to live as obedient children. The call to live in reverent fear and a call to love each other deeply. They're all things that we should do and should be doing because of the salvation that we have. But they're all things that we can only do because of the salvation that we have. And it's all things that we should be continuing to do as we grow in Christ, in our salvation. Look at what it says. Uh, Yes, rid yourself of those things, chapter 2. Then verse 2 of chapter 2, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like that newborn baby, craving for and longing for that milk. And that's how we should be, with that desire for God and desire for God's work. Craving spiritual milk and tasting the goodness of the Lord. Oh, I, I, enjoy, uh, I enjoy my food. Uh, and, and, and sometimes when, I, when I'm eating it, I just think, oh, this is wonderful, the taste. Um, I thoroughly enjoy it, and when it tastes really good, it's great. But we need to taste the goodness of the Lord. Have you tasted that? Are you tasting that? Are you enjoying that? I think the more we taste, the more we will crave. And the more we crave, the more we will taste. And the more we taste, the more we will crave. And so it goes on. And as we do that, then God will be at work in us, helping us to respond to these four calls. Is it too difficult? We can't, but he can. And if we are in Christ, we can. By God's help, by Christ's work in us and by the Spirit of God. We've been redeemed. We've been rescued. We've been changed.
and we need to go on. It's all because of Christ. Let me just read to you. Let me finish reading again from verse 18 to 21. You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down to you from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. May we be those whose faith and hope are in God and seen uh, to be in God. We're going to sing our final song uh, together. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging song to sing, Oh Jesus, I've promised to serve you to the end. We should be hesitant about promising. But let me read to you verses 2 and 3 just before we sing it. Oh, let me feel you near me. The world is ever near. I see the sights that dazzle, the tempting sounds I hear. My foes are ever near me, around me and within. But Jesus, draw still nearer and shield my soul from sin. Oh, let me hear you speaking in accents clear and still, above the storms of passion, the murmurs of self-will. Oh, speak to reassure me, to hasten or control, and speak to make me listen, O guardian of my soul.